Hey everybody, welcome to episode 214 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lepas Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California on the line. All right. So Jaime, do we have, I, dare I ask, do we have any uh, Ask MTJC? We have a whole bunch, including, uh, let's let's start off with some fact check. You have some for us, I sure. think. Oh, right. Um, yeah, we were talking about, I've forgotten why I put this down, but I, I was listening and I forgot to put the timestamp in for, but it was fairly early in last week's show. We were talking about the fact that uh, the Plus didn't seem to ha- have any additional mojo that it added to the, uh, other than the size of the device, right? Um, but the one one particular thing that I, I was of, of interest to me and the reason why I bought a 6 Plus in the first place was it supported split view, which is a unique view on the plus size camera or plus size iPhones. Um, and uh, so, that, you know, you get split view on 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 iPad, right? And you get, you know, you get you, you would get like standard view on on uh, a regular size phone, like a, a size ten, uh, iPhone ten size or five or six. But the plus has added that split view, and that sort of carried through all the way through to uh, the, the um, I assume the iPhone X. Sorry, <laughs> there we go. iPhone tennis. I've been telling people to say tennis ball so that they would remember it's tennis. Uh, but anyway, so iPhone tennis. Uh, Max, and, and to be honest with you, I, I actually have device tracker supports a split view um, as well, and uh, so I'll have to try it. I haven't tried it on, this, on the uh, tennis uh, at Max that I have it at the office, but I'll have to give it a shot, see if that supports it. But that was one, just one thing that extra that the Plus did add to the, uh, si- besides the size of the phone, right? And that was my fact check, all right? <laughs> so move on to the, you guys still there? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to uh, some other fact check. We've got a, a slew of them from a friend of the show, Paul Wilkinson. Uh, we we'll mm-hmm. start with the first one that says, uh, at Tim Mitra, um, Wi-Fi assist under settings mobile is the feature that lets your phone switch to mobile data when Wi-Fi signal is poor i keep it off though as it can lead to unexpected high data use right right yeah no i we i think i oh that wi-fi assist there we go okay yeah we definitely mentioned it on the show we're like oh if you're getting uh kind of you know dodgy wi-fi in the old days like pre i was 11 maybe 10 i can't remember when they switched this it was uh, oh wi-fi is always better right so why use your mobile network and you're like what's going on here oh stupid capture portal at starbucks (laughs) why did you log me out okay well let me switch to wi-fi um sorry switch off of wi-fi and go to lte and oh look there's all those notifications i was waiting for um yeah made that to be a little bit more seamless but it is an option because as uh paul mentions here you could unexpectedly have very very dodgy wi-fi that never really wants to connect even though it looks like it should and yeah no my, mine's currently off but it would interesting to note that you have to scroll all the way to the bottom yeah. to, of this list to find it but mine's actually off but i, I can't remember because a, a buddy of mine pointed out something that i had to do on my phone to to try and reduce the costs of things and that may in fact been one of the things that he told me to turn off another thing to note i don't know if this is a carrier specific thing or if it's a u.s specific thing but uh on my phone it's not settings uh mobile it's setting yeah. cellular mine's yeah mine Mine, mine was cellular as well because if you look at the the further conversation we, we had about that I sort of said I don't have that and ah. yeah we, we discussed that he because I said here in Canada it's not and I guess because I think he's in the UK <clears throat> or Europe somewhere looks like Australia right Vodafone oh, is EU it? isn't that oh, okay yeah no that makes sense yep. yeah I knew he was from elsewhere mm-hmm. still in the cool. Commonwealth <laughs> <laughs> he's got same same Queen as me all right 
All right. God save her. Anyway, what else we got there, honey? Another one from, from Paul says that uh, enterprise Wi-Fi systems from the likes of Cisco, Aruba, etc., can force a device to reassociate to a better access point. Standard consumer-grade APs, that's access points, and routers generally don't, while more sophisticated mesh systems like Netgear's Orbi do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, when I, when I mentioned on the show, um, I probably should have um, qualified that, but what I mentioned on the show uh, last week was when I was the information I got from my friend about the, the stickiness of, of radios was, was actually old information, like it's based on, on on something he told me years ago. Yeah, I'm just trying to find something here from, from the guys from Apple, because i got to follow up to that enterprise thing, because the Cisco... Fast lane, um, I think, is one of those one of those features you can add too. So I'm not sure if this is related to what he's talking about. But yeah, the next, <laughs> the very next tweet was uh, the NS Hipster article also conflates two separate features because Cisco has them in the same white paper. 802.11r and k provide better access point roaming. Fast lane, right. that's not the tools by Felix Krauss. That was the uh, Wi-Fi thing we talked about last episode. Provides a way for iOS apps to mark traffic priorities that will be respected by a Cisco network. Right. Yes. Yes. Specific to the hardware. Yeah, thanks for that. I never, I never would have known that. That is really, really good info. What about the Cisco thing or about the fast? Yeah, I mean, like, I thought, oh, like, cool. I'll just set this to super duper fast priority now, please. <laughs> and then you know, you kind of hope that it works. But now it'll be like, oh, maybe this is why it doesn't. In, in case you're trying it out. Yeah, I just, I just Google a quick link here on on it's fast hyphen lane as opposed to fast lane, like uh, Felix Krauss's thing. Because uh, as uh, Apple formed a partnership with them three years ago to work on this stuff. So which is why Cisco. WebEx and all that kind of stuff works pretty seamlessly on iOS these days as well. I don't know if you guys use a WebEx at all at office at your work. Nope. No, uh, that, that was definitely the thing prior to, to Zoom and maybe a little bit of Skype. You know, WebEx worked reasonable enough. I think it's a lot better for like gigantic meetings. Like when I was at Boeing, we definitely would have 400 person telecom yeah. type things. So yeah. I could see why, why you might end up using that. We don't have quite 400, but we have sometimes quite a few, you know, a meeting, people in the meeting. Um, okay, what's next? That would be your tweet my tweet okay which one is this oh yeah freedom mobile mm-hmm. so i mentioned last week about freedom mobile a friend of my friend of the show manoj hi manoj had said that uh, he pointed out to me that freedom mobile had the zero dollar um iphone 10s and 10s max uh, you pay so much per month, uh, fifty or sixty dollars or something like that. I forget what I, what, what numbers were, but uh, our friends over at Best Buy Mobile have now come out with the same deal or similar deal, where you can get a tennis phone or a tennis Max for um, basically uh, zero down, zero dollars down, and like so much per month. And they've got in the fine print this, you know, with a two-year or or, or select two-year um, multi-platinum plan, which I have no idea what that means. It's probably like a Rogers or a Bell thing. And actually, got Rogers Bell and tell us listed on here as well but yeah and and um let's see um and or you can pay like five it's really in fine print i can't read it at 5.99 or 6.99 the graphic's too small for me to read oh i just clicked on it it came up bigger 5.59.99 canadian or 4.29.99 for a tennis phone 64 gig of course not uh 256 or 512 whatever the configurations they come in and um manoj actually just got himself a, a phone from rogers he bought a 10 not a tennis uh and he's paying $99 on his two-year plan for that. So, yeah, good to know. I mean, my point was that it is interesting to see that that the sort of knee-jerk reaction, I guess, of, of uh, Best Buy to, to throw out a deal like that right after um, 
uh, Freedom Mobile did. In fact, I'm still thinking about going to Freedom Mobile because their plans are still cheaper. But there's the question, and maybe this is some of the readers can respond to us or whatever. But uh, the rumor is that our, the coverage isn't quite as as good. There's always some, you know, somebody's always got to throw something into your into your chili to make it sour, right? <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, yeah. And uh, next one is me again. So. This is my told you so tweet, right? Um, so I, I have a, an iPhone 10 at work that uh, we purchased for our iPhone 10 migration last year, and you know, sent it off to another team in another city, and it came back to me, and it's been it's been in in and out of my possession over the last little while. We're not even a full year into owning it. I guess we must be into a full year of owning it, um, but it's got a nice hairline crack right across the the screen. So I told you guys, so you need to protect these things. But you know, everybody's like, oh, what are you talking about? Blah blah blah. No, no, no. That- <laughs> Just to set the record straight on that, um, I was reasonably pragmatic about it. I think Greg was the one who was the most against it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, when you consider Apple Care is like two hundred and forty nine dollars, it, it does. It, it seems like a ridiculous amount of money to pay, but you know, with Bendgate and the fact that it's a one phone and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, these are all the things that make me think about it. And the other thing too is that uh, I, I get an email still because you know some people have don't haven't realized I'm no longer reseller but i still get emails from suppliers chinese suppliers who are always like oh hey we've got all the screens for all the phones and i just happen to notice that their replacement cost for uh like a knockoff screen replacement for an iphone 10 is 250 dollars. so you do the math <laughs> right you know right. uh you know it's still cheaper to get uh, a, a legit you know uh, device from apple who will if the if the transfer of the screen doesn't work give you a new phone a new device you know um you know it's uh and again i paid Nine hundred dollars for my phone, so I, you know, I mean, it's a fifteen hundred dollar phone. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a fool and not cover it, right? With some sort of protection, and Apple Care protection is is the best warranty in the world, as far as I'm concerned, right? Because it's technically Apple that's supporting it. Yeah, and I think the the iPhone upgrade program sort of makes it very seamless to have that thing, right? Because it's a monthly charge, but you also have the Apple Care that goes on top of that. So I should I should also point out that this this phone that's pictured here in the tweet that has this hairline crack is not a daily use phone this is one of our test devices right so it, it goes in my bag you know it gets thrown into my locker like the bag the whole bag gets thrown into the locker but it's not a it, my bag is a, like a proper targus bag with you know with the foam protection and all that kind of stuff so i can't imagine what could have happened to this this screen to get it to crack like that but it's not it's not like you know we're we're you know take putting it in, pulling it in and out of our pocket every day and you know th- getting on the streetcar with it and dropping it on the, the sidewalk and you know so if something like this can crack that easily you know means that any phone can crack Right. Yeah, you didn't like tape it to your, uh, I don't know what it's called, but like the neck protector on your goalie mask. No, no. I, you know, I, <laughs> I might have, I might have used a safety clip and a paper clip and, or like a, a clothes pack and put it on my bike so it would make that motorcycle noise when I rode my bike, you know? <laughs> do you ever do that when you were kids with, with hockey cards or baseball cards? Yeah, you put them on the spokes, yeah. yeah. Baseball cards. <laughs> I don't think we ever had hockey cards when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Not even in Boston, really? Yeah. I mean, I had oh, wow. baseball cards in football football cards yeah but i don't remember hockey cards yeah it's funny you know i it's funny because uh, i go to trade i go to like fan expos and comic cons and stuff like that with my with my son all the time jonathan and um i look at these bobby Orr cards and bobby hull cards and they're like you know four hundred dollars and five hundred dollars crazy prices for these cards right and i'm thinking i remember putting that card on the spokes on my bike yeah I literally, you know. <laughs> that's why it's worth that much money now because everybody did that everybody else <laughs> i guess so I the guess best so. thing you can do is buy some cards now just go out and buy some tops cards and then convince 
everybody you know to ruin their cards. <laughs> yeah. To spread fake news on the, you know, put it, make a YouTube video that's like, hey, you know yeah. the best way to protect your cards? Put them in this thing that's obviously going to destroy the card. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get Jonathan to send us a picture, like a, like one of those 3D panoramas of his man cave at his house, because he's got this room. It's got to be, it's like probably ten feet long and and about. It's got to be six feet wide. It's, a, it's like a small bedroom kind of thing, and, and it's in the basement, right? But it is floor to ceiling with collectibles, like comic books and graphic novels and toys and you know, posters. And it's just, yeah, you can't, you couldn't swing a cat in there. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> and he's got a cat he could swing, too. You'd probably try that. Yeah, but it's just chock full of, of and stuff. And, of course, I'm guilty of buying him stuff all the time as well. Anyway, let's move on to our follow-up. What do we got there, Jaime? We got a couple. Well, one here is from you that says that uh, I forgot to report that iOS 12 has six, fixed my access to 2FA since I still have two Apple IDs. Totally. I forgot to report that iOS 12 or whatever has fixed my access to 2FA or, or something that Apple's done. Well, there's two sides to this. There's another side, that, an evil side, too, that comes out of this. But my iCloud ID is my old mobile me address, my old .Mac address, right? And my iTunes purchases address is my my regular email address, right? And um, I used to have to go into, whenever I had to do a 2FA thing, I had to go into my account on my phone. So I'd have to go into, like, you know, the, the settings page, and I would have to go to, you know, where it says your name, and it says Apple ID, Cloud ID. And then I have to go into Password and Security, and wait for that to open. And then I'd have to hit click Get Verification Code to get this pop-up that you see in the tweet, right, which, which it says your Apple ID verification code. So it didn't matter what service, whether it was on my Mac or, you know, on my iPad or whatever that was asking me for this thing. I had to, like, an animal go into settings and do this. And then ever since iOS 12 has come out or the Goldmaster, I have not had to do that. So whatever they did to fix the accounts or they, they must have done some magic in the background because now I'm getting this pop-up on all of my devices without doing anything, without any, you know, anything other than putting iOS 12 on my iPad and on my phone. So yay! Yeah, they unclog the intertube for you. Yeah. That's good. That said, I, I think I've mentioned, a, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but I mentioned it to you guys on the Slack is that I have been having trouble with my Apple ID account with my developer account for the last, you know, six months or so. So every time I go to, every time I, you know, work on an, an app and I get it ready to, to submit to the App Store and I go to log into the developer account, you know, either iTunes Connect or the App Store Connect a new one, I couldn't get in there. And, and Apple's last fix last time was go in and buy a 99 cent thing and verify your Visa card because that seemed to be what was clogging up their, their their tubes and so this weekend i was working on device tracker got fixed that bug i was talking about and um and went to do a submit it to test flight and i couldn't it cannot log into my account i cannot submit an app to my account because it, it says that there's no apple ID, this apple id is not connected to anything i've been using the same account for 10 years of app development right and there's no reason why i haven't done anything different there's no change in what i did and so finally i just thought well last year when i was having trouble with this i registered out carol's id as an as a member on the team so she could submit with her apple id right and sure enough i did that with her apple id and it went in onto test flight without any kind of hiccup at all but so i don't know what apple's doing on the, on the back end but they're they're fixing some things and introducing bugs and others right so go figure no comment. I'm trying to think of what it could possibly be. And I'm, <laughs> I'm at a loss. The only thing I can think is that you do have an unusually long history with Apple, and yeah. whatever you know regression cases they're using don't accommodate your yeah, uh, your, yeah. your longtime fervor for all things Apple with like well multiple yeah. different you know like you know dot Mac and mobile me and, and uh, family sharing and multiple dev account you know all sorts of things that are perfectly legitimate. I'm not saying they're not, but just. It, 
I can only imagine the amount of things they would have to test to make sure that it doesn't run into a weirdo situation like yours, right? Where it's like, whoops, turns out there's a bug here. Yeah, it's true. Like, I have issues with my Rogers account because every time I go to do a new plan with Rogers, because I've been with Rogers so long, there's some tendrils that are like, hanging on to the old COBOL database or something, you know, and won't let go kind of thing. And and, and actually, as, as a matter of fact, I got my new watch, by the way, on, on Tuesday. It came in a day early. And I can't get my debit card to show up under Apple Pay. So I'm not fixing it because I'm going to take that as an opportunity for them to, to debug it because this is a this is a scenario that's really hard to test. And you can imagine in a development environment, right? Because um, you're always like adding cards and taking them away and you're not re- are you really not disappointed? associating them or something you know so again another hiccup that's just sort of haunting me <laughs> you know with my fancy new watch i have to use my phone like an animal to do apple pay <laughs> but the watch is really nice and super fast they look really nice yeah yeah i don't know if they're yeah it, and it's funny because it, it just it was a very painless upgrade process let's take a second and talk about that so have you guys have you got your watch yet Jaime? i did not order a watch because i haven't gone to the apple store to see if, uh, if it oh, will okay. convince me to buy okay take take some money with you when you go um <laughs> that's my advice um and i got the sport band which i'm just getting used to still but um yeah it was like you know uh, and they use that new you know thing where you you can hold the watch next to your phone and it'll automatically do the the, the account migration and because I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I backed up my watch, right? But um, like specifically, like gone into iTunes and done that whole thing. But other than the fact that it's constantly syncing with my with my phone, right? So there must be some some backup mojo happening there. Uh, yeah, but it just sort of said hold the watch next to the phone, and they did that, and you know it popped up and said, do you want to add this this thing? And then I had to do the thing where you it opens up the the camera and you scan the face of the watch. It shows you that sort of um, nebulous cloud. Um, mycelial network thing that we have in Spotcast, right? And you take a you, you scan on that, and it, it gives it creates a unique signature that and pairs the phone with the with the watch, right? Um, did all that, and and it even brought over my preferred uh, watch faces and all my settings and everything like that, right? I'm, I'm wearing the watch the right way around. I used to wear my watch inverted and upside down, right, on my on my left wrist, but with the digital crown in towards my forearm. Um, but I'm wearing it now the way you're supposed to, and and even that orientation transferred over with the, with the uh, the upgrade, so or the transfer, I guess. What do you call it? Data transfer. So yeah, super happy. Other than the Apple Pay thing and the account thing on the, on Xcode. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of getting one. They, what are the new <laughs> the new models? Because they actually look nice. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, it's it's lightning fast compared to the old one. The old one is like mm. glacial, mm-hmm. like and super you know, buttery smooth, as Apple likes to always say, right? Mm. And maybe even buttery, more buttery smooth than my wife's uh, uh, Series Three, I think, because she still has trouble scanning around and stuff like that, right? So, all right, cool. now are we done with the, the Ask MTJC? No, we actually have <laughs> one more that one more got lost in the shuffle here. This is one from a friend of the show and sometimes guest host Greg Heo saying that uh, right, emeritus iOS twelve as of beta 2 updated the iphone app running on ipad resolution feature so right. apparently it used to be an iphone 4's resolution now they've updated that to be an iphone 6's resolution right right so it's not this tiny little postage stamp on your ipad anymore for apps that are <laughs> iphone only running on ipad yeah and that little one yeah. times two times thing is gone yeah we were discussing that last week and we were, we were debating debating whether or not because i had sort of thought we, we had that screenshot that i made last yeah again if you look at the proportions of of the screenshot in the in the article right it's it's, just, it's an even amount of black all the way around. So if you if you zoomed it up to two times size, it would fill the entire iPad. Whereas now you've got these you know very narrow black bars on the on each side of it, right? Which to me indicates after we did our test last week that this is the 568 style resolution. Although as Greg points out, it's the iPhone 6 resolution, which is more 
than right, uh, it's three seventy five by whatever, but it's the same mass arc ratio as it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, right. But the great, the great thing about this is that there are now no devices that uh, have the old ancient three twenty by four eighty right. resolution, so you'd never have to support that anymore. Right. Well, which, what about the iPad though? Itself, itself is it's ten twenty four seven sixty eight. but that's a di- that's that was always a different aspect ratio. Right. Okay. But that's okay. okay because we have size classes for that. Right. But, but we never had a separate size class for the 320 by 480 versus 320 by right, 560. Right. I was always kind of yeah. a pain trying to squeeze stuff in. Like, yeah, you're right. No, because yeah, I was, I was thinking about the Strombo app, which is the app that I was using as, as our discussion point last week. Because um, I, I did make an, a four inch, uh, was it four inch? The little 3.75 inch. No, the old one was four inch, right? Four inch tall or diagonal? The original was 3.75 inch. 3.75, yeah. So I, because I, I, I had to do a layout for that because I, I assumed that we would still be supporting uh, older devices. So, like we have some listeners who still use iPods, right? So um, for to listen to the show, but because uh, I did have to go in and, and you know move the buttons around and make sure that the text all fit, you know, because I was mm-hmm. I was working on uh, like a five twenty a five sixty eight aspect ratio five inch whatever we call it four and a half inch. What is it? <laughs> you know the the new five the iPhone five or, uh, aspect ratio, right? So you guys have been awfully quiet tonight. I'm thinking about it and I'm <laughs> not sure what you're asking there, Jim. <laughs> Okay, so if you're asking for iPhone 5, that was a four-inch device. Yeah. Well, we can go, always go to the ultimate. No, no, the uh, iPhone 4 was... Yeah, no, you're right. The iPhone 5 was the four-inch device. That's right, yeah. We can mm-hmm. go to the ultimate uh, iPhone That's 3. right. So 3GS was still the 320 by 480 at 470... Uh, sorry, at 3, 3.75. The iPhone 4 was the same size, but Retina. The iPhone 5 went to the 320 by 568 in the four-inch. And then the iPhone 6 was the 375 by... What is it? Uh, I think it was 667. Thing. Yeah, we have the ultimate. Here, let me post this in, in the link here again because we had the, we talked about this last week. Uh, yeah, the four and the the four, the two G and the three G and the three GS and the four S mm-hmm. were the little tiny guys, postage stamp guys. But look at look at the rendered pixels thing, right? Where <laughs> the second one, look how small the three twenty by four eighty is compared to the yeah uh, iPhone tennis Max, right? Well, because it's is, not a Retina display, so it's all true. Points are pixels. True, true, but tiny, tiny. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. Yeah, so the so the five was actually four inch diagonal screen. It's not as easy to remember as the as the original uh, iPad Pro, you know, with the twelve point nine and the nine point seven, right? Or is it twelve point seven? I can't remember. <laughs> twelve point nine and nine point seven. If you're talking iPads Pro, original iPad Pro, yeah, and then the ten point five is the easier one to remember. That's the new one, right? Uh, the current one. Yes, I believe that is the newest one. I don't know. Why does Apple do this to us? Can you imagine being Android developers? Could you imagine? Uh, I can't <laughs> with their. Uh, Pentagon-shaped screens and stuff, I'm sure. Pentagon, triangular screens, yeah. <laughs> Cylinders, where it wraps around all the way around. screens. Yeah, whatever. Okay, now can we move to the, fo- the follow-up, Jaime? Yes. Yeah, I mean, speaking of cylinders, uh, Amazon released a whole <laughs> ton of things, including cylinders like their uh, their modified Echo Dot. There was 14 items. Let's see how quickly I can go through these. One of these looks like a coffee maker, coffee machine, if I didn't know any better. It's funny. You mentioned that because they have. Uh, I'll just go in the order of this uh, Verge article for those of you driving at home. We'll have the show notes uh, linked to this. There's a new Echo Dot. It's pretty much the same. It's a lower-priced Echo. Um, they've bumped up the audio quality. Apparently, it looks a little bit nicer. Kind of that fabricy sort of uh, covering that the way the um, the Google Home and the uh, HomePod have. They came out with 
uh, the Echo Auto, which is a little Bluetooth device that will jack into your car, uses your phone, uh, cellular network, so that you can talk to the um, Alexa service while you're on the go. They have the Echo Input, which is pretty much just the microphones part of the Echo, and you can plug it into whatever your, you know, like your hi-fi system happens to be. You know, if I was marketing, track. I would call that the Echo Dot, because when you say Echo Dot, that's what I expect to see—a little tiny nothing, right? They they back themselves into a corner because they already have Dot and Spot, so it had <laughs> to be like the Echo Point. But then that sounds like it's a you know mouse-based point-and-click sort of thing. It's very tricky. Uh, you could try Echo Max, maybe <laughs> the Micro, the Nano, uh, second-generation. Yeah. Echo Plus. Echo Nucleus. <laughs> and then they started going down to like, you know, Proton and Quark and everything. Neutrino, Echo Neutrino, yeah. Uh, let's see what else they got here. The Echo Sub, which is not a sandwich, as you might think. It is a subwoofer, and supposedly it will pair up nicely with your newer Echoes so that it gives you what's more of that Sonos and HomePod kind of uh, kind of feel, of flavor. Uh, so they can have... you say subwoofer again? Subwoofer. Really? How yeah, he pronounces it in an in a interesting way. <laughs> yeah, how do you pronounce it, Mark? I say subwoofer. Yeah, woofer. Woofer. Yeah. Like a dog. Yeah, subwoofer. Woofer. <laughs> hey, it's like cupola and foyer, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving along. There's niche. the don't forget niche. <laughs> There's the second generation Echo Show, which is largely a um, a much iPad. larger. It, instead of what is like seven inches, I think for the current Echo Show, this is ten inches, um, and it is something that has its own integrated web browser. So even though they're still fighting with Google over Google yanking YouTube from the Echo Show, it's like, well, they can't block the browser without getting into a tizzy. So so um, this is a proper like web browser, like I could cruise the web and stuff on this. That's my understanding. Like I don't know what that experience would be like. I assume very similar to using a Kindle Fire um, tablets. Right, I don't right. think it'd be quite as nice as an iPad, uh, even though you look at the screenshot and it looks an awful lot like an iPad, but with a very, very large mm-hmm. bezel. Uh, semi-related to this is the fact that um, Microsoft and Amazon have teamed up so that you can do Skype calls through the Echo Show, or at least you will be able to relatively soon. Some of these are services related, so they remember, uh, I don't know, a few episodes ago, one of my picks of the week was a uh, comedy sort of thing where you could tell your Echo that you were leaving the house and then it would play random audio from uh, like a one-hour sort of skit thing that would sound like people arguing or people right. playing video games and stuff. Apparently Amazon took that to heart because they have Alexa Guard, which is a home security sort of system where it can detect weird noises and other things, you know, given if you have like an Echo Show sort of thing that can see what's going on and give you alerts to your phone. It can also uh, randomize your um, home network stuff. So if you have the smart home things where you have, you know, Philip Hue lights that should be turning on. It'll apparently use machine learning to figure out what's a reasonable sort of pattern for you, but randomize it so it's not always precisely at 5 p.m., you know, that sort of thing. Uh, somewhat more oddly, because you mentioned the coffee maker, they have the Amazon Basics Microwave, which uh, apparently will integrate with your Echo in very, very strange ways from what I'm describing here. So you can ask it to cook popcorn and instead of pressing the buttons, they're very clearly on the screen, but sure, you can do that. Uh, apparently it will so also, does it open the door too? You know, it really should, right? I, I don't know. I didn't yeah. see a. Open I didn't see anybody try that. Hell. But it uh, apparently will recognize if you asked it, like, "Hey, you know, cook some popcorn or, or pop some popcorn." It will recognize that you're running low on popcorn and reorder it through right. Amazon, which is probably the whole reason some engineer came up with this idea. Wow, the price of the microwave is only fifty nine ninety nine. Are microwaves that cheap these days? It's been a long time since I bought a microwave. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't look into it to see what the wattage was, but if it was, I don't know. 
less than a thousand watts, maybe seven or eight hundred. That doesn't sound unreasonable. Hmm. Can you I order mean, it on Amazon? I bet you can. I think it's pre-order, but I don't. I don't actually know if it's on order now. <laughs> no, I mean, can you order? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> they also have the uh, Echo. Can you wall use your Echo to order it? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I used Apple Pay to pay for my watch. Oh, so I just searched on Amazon, and the first one that pops up when you search for microwave is this is this one. Nice. Amazon Basics Microwave, 0.7 cubic feet, 700 watts. Works with Alexa. Nice. So it is relatively low wattage for microwave, but it's a pretty cheap price, though. And it probably offers some Prime, too, right? Uh, Yes, it does. Yeah. Sorry, Jaime, we're stealing your show. No, no, it's all right, because the rest of these are really getting off the beaten path from being, they're not Echo devices, they're more periphery accessories. Like they came out with their own smart plug, for example, that works with, uh, mm-hmm. with your Echo, as you might expect. Does it work with Alexa? Okay. Yeah. It's unclear to me if it's HomeKit enabled, but I would kind of guess not since it's not really in there and their benefit to make it compatible with Apple's system. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's there's even more things, but that was a whole whack of things that Amazon came up with. It's very, very interesting because they're definitely trying to own that whole home experience as much as they can integrate into everything you might possibly need, which... I think it will be interesting because we've seen, you know, Apple working with HomeKit from kind of a slightly different direction where they don't really have that many accessories and are really trying to set more of the standard for other third parties to do that. Um, certainly Amazon does integrate with other things, but they're definitely not afraid to release their own stuff. So what's this thing on the on the, on the the first image? Like, you know, at the top of the article, they've got like, they've got the show and they've got the dot and the m- micro or whatever it's called, but they've got this, the black thing, or oh, it looks like a subwoofer. And then they've got that sort of thing tilted up on an angle. What's that? That would be the camera. What is it called? The ring stick-up cam it can be the used both indoors and out. So ring, if, I didn't know they had this sort of thing, but I know they're very popular for their like doorbell replacement sort of thing. Oh, so okay. if you're away from home, you can see what's nominally like looking out the peephole on your door. Oh, here it is. Yeah. At the bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. And the, the base is like, a, it's got screw holes for mounting it somehow. Oh, cool. So the burger can just take it and knock it off the wall with a hockey stick, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's or why. Bad if he's in that, America, right? that's why I thought it'd be good if they had something that would go, you know, over an existing from the inside, but over an existing peephole that you could slide out of the way if you want to just actually look out, and then otherwise you could view it from a monitor sort of thing. Yeah, maybe it excuse. You put, you put one of these things up on your front door, and it, it, it advertises you have money inside, right? Mm. In terms of what you bought, it's true. It's true. <laughs> all right, cool. We're not showing our Apple bias at all, Mark. Are we? No. <laughs> All right. So what do we got now? Oh, okay. So we'll move on to the next story. Um, yeah. So again, I happened to be a proud owner of a new iPhone and I was able to, at work, of course, and I was able to open them up. And the first thing I noticed was the little dongle thing was missing from the, because I still use my headphone jack with, with the dongle on it uh, because my computer at the office has a headphone jack on it. It's made by Apple. So go figure. Um, I, I, you know, because occasionally I have to make a Skype call or not a Skype call, but a, a WebEx call or whatever, or listen to some training materials, and you need to put the headphones on, and it happens to be the headphones I use to go back and forth to work with uh, with my current phone when listening to podcasts and stuff. But yeah, so right away, and it's a little $9 accessory. It's not like a big deal, but uh, just interesting that it was gone, but it's, it hasn't had a, a, an effect on the people who made those for Apple Serious Logic. Um, there's a post here for, we'll put in the show notes, about how they're, they're kind of, it was kind of by, caught by surprise that Apple was going to 
uh, not no longer put these into the boxes with the phones. So, and it's one of the things these guys are known for is, is for making these dongles for Apple. I think it's a real bummer for that that company because they they still will end up selling these dongles, but there's a big difference between Apple giving you guaranteed money for every iPhone that they sell versus that's true. Hoping that somebody's like, what the heck, I need this, and then you know they go to Best Buy or something and, or Amazon and buy the dongle. Right. Got to diversify. Yeah, that's true. Well, like I'm sure they hope. Hopefully, they invested the money in in a nice little uh, gold prote- gold protected account, right? As they made it. Uh, so the next thing I have in here on our list is just uh, yeah. So we'll, I think those of us who were on the NS North uh, radar um, got notified about a teaser coming out today. I guess from the from the Twitter account um, saying check this space. We're going to have an, an announcement. I think it was yesterday came out. So today they announced that uh, not officially, but they've announced that they've got a new view and they've got four or five different images on their website where you can sign up for the mailing list for their trade show. They're coming back, or sorry, for their conference. They're coming back in 2019, April, I believe, end of April. And uh, it looks like from what we can surmise that they're going to be in Montreal because I recognize the uh, Place Ville-Marie building in Montreal's downtown. And uh, that looks like where the next site of NS North will be in 2019. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to see them come back. I've I've been asking for a couple years because the last time I went was 2015 at Le Chateau Montebello. Yeah. Missed the 2016 edition in Toronto. And then, well, that was the last one for the last couple of years. No, no 2017 or 18. Yeah, it's been three years. Long time. Good to, be, good to have them back. Montreal be, would be an interesting place to go because uh, Montreal is a nice, you know, as much as Toronto is a nice place to visit, Montreal is also a nice place to visit. A lot of, it's a cosmotop, cosmopolitan town, lots of nightlife and attractions and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that's cool that they're coming back. So I guess we'll have to wait and see if there's a call for papers, eh, Jaime? Yeah, I was very, very curious about that. Obviously, my my ears perked up. I was like, oh, oh, is there a CFP? Oh, there's no CFP link. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Hopefully there will be one soon. Uh, Dan, come on, send us, send us one. All right. So, um, what do you got next, Tommy? Next one is an article by Paul Hudson uh, from Hacking with Swift about what's new in Swift Five. I've definitely not been keeping up with any of this, so it's good to see these sort of uh, roundup sort of things. So, let's just dive into these rather briefly. So, one is uh, one change is raw strings. So, just like we've had the uh, multi-line string with the triple tick mark, mm-hmm. uh, you can use pound signs or hashtags for. You some of y'all, um, to do literal strings where you don't have to do any of the escaping. You just surround your string with pound signs, one leading, one trailing, and then write however you want. Uh, apparently, you can also use um, backslashes for the um, as a literal character instead of an escape character. Right, um, okay. Other things that are coming up are handling future enum cases. Uh, it gives out a, a case here where uh, you start out with three cases and you've got like a default. But if you add a new case, you have a subtle bug because it falls under the default. But now you can put in at unknown that will give you warning. So that's pretty nice. Um, maybe my favorite here is checking for integer multiples. If only because um, a common programming exercise during coding interviews is fizzbuzz where you need to check for right. multiples of three <laughs> and five and type either fizz, buzz, or fizz buzz if it's a multiple of both. And right. now that you have is multiple of, you will finish that coding assignment in 30 seconds flat. Right. <laughs> so they give you a choice. You choose Swift 5, okay? Just 
All you out there, pro tip. Um, what's this other one? Counting matching items in a sequence. Oh, okay. So yeah, they, this apparently does the equivalent of a filter and count in a single pass. So if you wanted to count like all of the test scores that are greater than or equal to 85, do that without having to do uh, that intermediary sort of um, array of like, okay, get this, now filter that based on this. And it sort of just saves you the hassle out of that. The other one is cool. what? Transforming and unwrapping dictionary values with compact map values. Oh yes, this is this is like the um, the dictionary equivalent of compact map or true map, as I like to say. Um, so if you want to do operations on a dictionary and say, all right, give me these values if it meets this sort of criteria. Slightly awkward to do that with dictionaries, except compact map values will do that. So in this case, they set up like all these different times where um, it's like the key is a person's name and the value is some sort of integer for like, I think the amount of time they spent in a race. But if somebody didn't finish or you get the literal value DNF, you can use compact map values to get a new uh, set of those things where it's already removed the values that don't qualify. So if you want to see what was the average time that somebody spent or that people spent running the race, for example, and then there's still more to come, but it's really mm -hmm. nice that um, compact map values exist because it's, uh, as far as I can see here, if I'm understanding the example, it looks like it works pretty much like you would have for a compact map where you will remove the nils or all the optionals out of uh, out of your array or in this case dictionary cool nice all right next posting i got here is it was sort of an interesting bug i came across yesterday not a bug a submission issue um and that was um when i submitted my latest build to apple i got back a warning saying that i wasn't um declaring um let me just read the article email to you yeah so i got one back one of these you know um my my app has a has an issue that needs to be dealt with it features Thing. So invalid documentation configuration, document-based document apps should either support the document browser UI supports document browser equals yes, or implement open in place, LLS supports open documents in place, yes or no. Um, because my device tracker has an import-export feature that I wrote, you know, 10 years ago, um, it has its own document format, and I guess now they need to know whether or not you're you're actually dealing with documents. So since they, I guess since they added the document browser but I guess they weren't checking for that in uh, iOS. I think it came out in iOS 9, the document. Um, you know, you have, if you have the files uh, folder in uh, iOS now as well. Um, so I think that they, they added the, the, the document browser um, style apps to, or document style apps in um, in Xcode. You guys familiar with those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so now they've got this, this uh, a couple of more, um, uh, basically in, in your info plist, you have to declare whether or not you support the um, opening files from the document browser, or if you're just going to open the file right in right inside the app, and so I'm not sure if mine's a yes or no case because mine's not using the document browser. Mine is just you know you go get the file and recognize the file type and imports it and inserts it into core, into core data and so on and so forth. But um, so I have to now I've you know have to update in my next update. I have to add this uh, supports opening document in place uh, right thing here. So and there you go. So that's just a new little thing. I didn't. I just wondered if you guys had heard about this this new requirement for UI document support for either cloud drive or what have you. I had not heard about it, but I don't have any apps that use that functionality, so right. it didn't apply to anything I've done. Yeah, so just a heads up. Yeah, that escaped my attention as well. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and in my in my investigation of it, I, I stumbled across, there's an article, a recent article uh, tutorial uh, on raywonderlick.com and on using the document browser, so if you know, if you want to go, I'm probably going to spend some time and just go whip through that in an hour or so to see what uh, what's involved in doing that, because maybe that might be a better way of, of 
doing the import export than I'm doing now, right? So maybe write to a, write it to a file instead of because currently you know can either email it to somebody or you can you can um, it goes into the iTunes folder and you just have to you know use the iTunes um, sync feature to get the documents and pull them over to your Mac or whatever. So because there's actually I guess there's a document store in my app and and only iTunes can see it, right? You guys are familiar with that process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So anyway, just a link to the Apple uh, documentation on that for folks. All right. So I found this article a couple of weeks ago, and we, we hung on to it till Mark could come back and, because it's more chip-related than anything else. But an uh, article here that uh, um, the iPhone 10, the iPhone 8, and the four iPads are likely to face a ban in South Korea. Um, but maybe Samsung, according to the headline here, Samsung might save that. Now that, of course, we'll have to add the uh, the tuna devices to this as well. But um, I'm going to let Mark talk about the FinFET thing because I'm not quite sure i follow yeah. it so this is kind of an interesting one so so for many many years i mean decades now the dominant transistor technology uh used in in chips has been something called a mosfet i mean this is just the real basic most basic element of making a a uh, a circuit that that goes in a chip and and you know typically you know a microprocessor or something will have billions of these things on there uh and and uh it's it's worked amazingly well but but uh, it's been a bit of a victim of its own success because uh, in order to make the devices faster and faster over the years, uh, they've shrunk the dimensions of these things down so much that now they're so small that it's you know it's only a few atoms wide, and it's to the point where you just you just can't make them anymore. Uh, and it's been like this for a couple of years now. So there have been some new alternate technologies that people have come up with. One of which is is something called a FinFET, uh, which is kind of similar to a MOSFET, except uh, the way it's constructed, instead of the current flowing parallel to the plane of the of the uh, of, of the silicon wafer, uh, it's it's what's called a 3D structure, where there's there's kind of a thing that juts up and is etched away, and the current can kind of flow around that, uh, and it's it's a way of getting the same type of performance without having to scale the thing down so aggressively. So this is a relatively new thing. It's only been around for maybe you know it's probably been around in research labs ten years, but people have only been using them for a few years. Uh, and all of the latest technologies, the you know the TSMC seven nanometer technology, is all based on this. But apparently, uh, according to this article, uh, the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology holds, or at least claims, they hold a patent on some aspects of this of this technology. So because they own the patent, they can prohibit Apple or or Samsung or anyone else uh, from selling products based on the technology, which would be a big problem because all of the new devices use this technology. And, and if this patent holds up, then Apple could be out of luck. I mean, they'd have to either uh, give a, a royalty to the to the KAIST or not sell the phones. Uh, but the the bright side is that this affects Samsung as well. So and Samsung has a lot of clout in Korea. So so it's it's not clear what will happen. I mean, if Samsung is challenging the patent and Apple's patent challenging the patent, uh, unless they've got a real strong patent claim, then it's it's probably likely that nothing will come of it. They're just you know kind of a patent troll just trying to get to get paid off because they mm-hmm. have they have this patent and then this actually this kind of thing is actually very common it happens all the time uh, someone will will just file a patent 
uh, on or buy somebody else's patent on some small little detail of some product or some technology. And then a big company comes along who's been using that. And because it's that kind of technique is is considered to be pretty much in the public domain or people have been using it for years, but but it just so happened that this one company had this this patent on it. And so these these patent trolls are, are they're called make a business out of going after big companies with deep pockets uh, just as a nuisance. You know, they say, oh, we've got this patent. You aren't allowed to sell your product. Uh, and then they, you know, they get paid off by the bigger company and they and they go away. So they don't actually do anything. They just make money off of off of filing claims about these patents. So it's it's not clear what will actually happen here. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that that uh, as the article points out, that Samsung could save the day for Apple because because they're challenging the patent as well. So we'll have right. to keep an eye on this one. Just see what happens. It's kind of an interesting thing. Hmm. All right. Cool. All right. So, Jaime, I mean, what do you got here for us? Well, it is uh, it is definitely the season, uh, pun intended here. Um, as we are recording here, we're in pumpkin spice latte season, which means mm-hmm. that inevitably Halloween is coming up here in the U.S. of A. And Canadian and Thanksgiving in Canada. That's that's right. That's right. Um, well, so that that's actually a perfect segue, as awkward as it was, for <laughs> this article by Aptiman, the app video agency who has a blog post here on creative optimization for the holiday season. And they have a whole bunch of holidays that are listed here, and they give a whole bunch of interesting information about downloads during the holidays. And we'll definitely have this linked in the show notes, because it's a kind of a lengthier article. Um, but I think the meat of it is the what sorts of things can you do to you know to modify your app in in some you know smaller or or not huge way to get a high return on investment on downloads and in-app purchases and stuff. And some of it is pretty good reminders of you know in-app holiday content like you know zombie faces for Halloween or uh, candy canes for Christmas and, and other things. Um, but it goes beyond like what's in your app as well, right? They talk about you could change your app icon so it looks winter. Uh, and that will attract more people to download it while they're in that sort of mood, right? Uh, especially when it comes to the holidays and they, they end up with these gifts, these new iPads, new iPhones, they're looking for stuff to buy. Um, also in your app store preview videos, um, other market materials that you might happen to have. I thought it was interesting to to be reminded of the fact that, um, you know, Apple and Google are looking for that too, right? They're like, here's stuff for the winter holiday. Okay, cool. Um, but as you just mentioned there, Tim, like it can't be just for whatever your country is. You also have to think about the other markets that you're selling in. So completely blew my, uh, past my mind about like, oh yeah, that's right. Canadian Thanksgiving is in October. I would have been right. thinking about Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving in, in November. So that's a good point right. out to, to be uh, international friendly. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's yes. a whole bunch of here. I'm, I'm going to try to knock in through. So between October 31st for Halloween and February 14th, the Valentine's Day, or Halloween, Chinese Singles Day and Veterans Day, which is kind of a weird one. I don't think people really celebrate that one in the same way. Thanksgiving, <laughs> Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, which is new to me, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday, Green Monday, which I have no idea what that is, Start of Hanukkah, Free Shipping Day. I haven't heard of that one. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Start of Kwanzaa, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Valentine's Day. Wow. That is a, that is a lot of holidays. Well, see, now if they had Pi Day countdown, they would know, also know you have Pi Day, Pi Celebration Day, which is November 9th. Evolution Day was November 23rd. Computer Security Day is November 29th. Ada Lovelace birthday is December 12th. Christmas is the 25th, of course. Right? Isaac Asimov's birthday is January 2nd. Elvis Presley's birthday is January 8th. J.R. Tolkien is January 3rd. That's out of order. Darwin Day is February 12th. Clean Your Computer Day is February 8th. Four Square Day is April 16th, of course. Right? Um, Star Wars Day, or maybe 
May the 4th be with you is May the 4th. Star Wars Day is May 25th. Towel Day is May 25th as well. So more celebrations, more holidays to celebrate. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what Towel Day is. It's um, Douglas Adams' birthday. Oh. We'll let him think about that for a, mark, a minute, Mark, eh? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Don't panic, Jaime. You'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it up. Celebrating like, we're going to, uh, let's see, what, what can Google give me? A horribly formatted page is hard to read. Well, I'll look it up at wow. some later point. I can smell the wood burning from here. It was related to Hitchhiker's Guide, but I don't I don't remember the reference. You don't remember the reference to the towel? No. Hmm. I think it's massively two useful can, thing. Two cans of beer and, and a towel, right. right, Mark? Sorry, what? Sorry. You two cans of beer and a, and a towel, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Was it two cans of beer? That that part, I forget. Well, he drank two two beers at the very beginning. Ah, okay. He, he chugged them. Uh, I see the I see the two passages, three passages here from Wikipedia. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> towel day, May 25th. Don't forget to put a towel on your app icon. Is it 25th? Wait, 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 wait. Uh... May 25th, 2019. Oh, May 25th. Yeah, yeah. Really? Wait a minute. I lost Towel Day. Uh-oh. Where's Towel Day? April, May. Yeah, it's the same day as Star Wars Day. What do you know? All right. There's Wait, also Four Square Star Day. Star Wars Day, May 25th? I think it's 24th, isn't it? Why is it May 24th? Well, that's the day that Star Wars came out in 1977. Oh, okay, okay. Premiere day. I always think of it as May 4th. Yeah, it's May the 4th. Yeah, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. All right. Um. Okay. I guess we're at the, the picks, are we? I think so. We have a few things here, actually, to talk about. So, Jaime, why don't you give us your pick first? Yes, so we were talking about supporting the iPhone 10, the 10s Max, and the 10R in the previous episode. Um, there's more information about that by uh, useyourloaf.com. Got an article here that kind of gives you the models in a nutshell. We um, covered bits about displays and screen sizes and stuff. The notes are interesting here. That uh, note the 10R and the 10s Max are plus size devices, so they have a regular horizontal class and landscape. Goes pretty well in hand with what we were talking about earlier in the show. The 10 S has the same screen size as the iPhone 10 and is a normal size phone, but it has a uh, compact horizontal size class and landscape. And the 10R is physically larger than the 10 and 10S, but has a lower resolution at a 2X device, which I don't know that it was uh, shouted out from the heavens, but it is definitely something to think about. And uh, the 10S Max and the 10R have the same screen size in points, but not pixels. Right. Um, notches everywhere. Home buttons are tossed to the winds. And we talked about this in the last episode, I think, about App Store screenshots and that uh, as we record today, you're totally fine with just doing the 5.5 inch screenshots if you want. But coming up in March, you will have to support the uh, newer, larger size. was like six point something inch screenshots. So you might want to get your Photoshop or your sketch handy and might as well do that anyways. So you don't get caught wondering on some random release in March, like why are they rich? Oh, yeah, that's why they're rejecting. Okay. Well, actually, there it already has the uh, the slots on the on the Apple Store page to add them, and it says optional right beside them. So you can you can today submit your your six point five inch screenshots. Yeah, yeah, and I I think people really should. I mean, you don't have to do it. Let's say now, but if you get a moving on it, it will be less of a surprise. And we were just talking about the fact that you might want to update your stuff for the holidays. So just get <laughs> in the habit of doing that. Yeah. Theme your theme your releases. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys use Sketch at all, but I use Photoshop and I have a template that I made up, um, which has the phone with the notch at the top of it and uh, or the 
sensor display area at the top of it. And uh, um, I use um, a th- um, uh, what do you call it now? Anyway, a smart smart um, graphics. I forget what they call it. There's a name for it. Anyway, um, stop yelling at your phone. But um, the and I use that to place them in there. So I could use I could reuse that gra- those art that, that art in a larger size just by scaling it up without losing any resolution. So what do they call that in Photoshop now? Hmm, curious. Huh, I don't know what it's called. Smart graphic or something like that. It's vector something or other. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, right? No idea. Not even the slightest. Yeah, like if I place a PDF in in as artwork, then it it um it re- it retains it. It just it embeds it in the Photoshop file right? and as a graphic. I can double click on it, edit it, and it doesn't affect the actual artwork. Right. I was doing some artwork for man- enamel pins the other day. Well, this is a, it's a bit more information than than the ultimate guide, but I guess it's similar, right? Okay, so I got a couple of things. One of them is a friend of the show, Jeffrey Fulton. He's from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Posted an article here using command line arguments to configure in app dependencies, and he's using the the um, oh, Swift package. Swift, what's the package manager called? Swift package. Swift package manager. Swift package manager. Yeah, using that to and he's got he's written up a quick little tutorial here on how to how to use it to uh, handle dependencies. I think it's more. I don't know if it's necessarily an iOS. App. I, I kind of went through it myself and I ran into some trouble with it. So maybe my approach was wrong. Um, but yeah, it sort of it walks you through how to how to use uh, Swift Package Manager and uh, set it up and uh, test your, your dependencies and then, you know, you know, inject things and stuff like that. So, um, and uh, pretty good little article there. I don't know if you guys have a chance to breeze through it. It's interesting to me because I considered doing something very, very similar to this, um, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I guess now. Oh, has it really been a couple of years? Okay, a couple of years ago now um i had a need because i was working at a company where we had this sdk and it required physical um physical device access because it was a camera based thing which is a real real hassle to test in the the simulator and even more so we were using the accelerometer and other things so um, i really considered like well if we have time here you want things slow down a little bit i definitely want to do something where you can pass in to um to the arguments something that will let you know what's my environment should i use the real camera or this fake camera source should i use the real accelerometer or this fake camera accelerometer source mm-hmm. particularly where it might be oh give me a uh, an accelerometer setting where it's perfectly flat or it's perfectly flat but flipped over or completely on edge completely on other edge deflected at varying degrees you know that sort of thing that would be really hard to test with the um, black box testing and are really really difficult to do with like white box testing if only because like you don't have really great simulated versions of those things um, like in the simulator and again using the real device sort of made it a hassle so i think this is a, a pretty nifty idea in his example here he's talking about using like for your ui testing like xeui stuff instead of using like a real network call if you pass in these parameters and say hey forget that network stuff use this file that's on the file system this pre-canned data to uh, you know for like you know um, continuous integration tests you know like on a build machine i think it's, that's it's pretty good and he's got some code here about um handling these arguments in a kind of a nicer way than just like straight up looking at strings here uh, which is pretty neat Anyway, yeah, th- thought that would be interesting. So I'll post that in the show notes for people to have a look at that. Um, couple, I have a couple more things here, too. So I was at the Elevate Tech Fest hackathon. We're having this Elevate um, conference here in Toronto right now. Um, saw some, like I mentioned in the to the guys before the sh- taping, that I saw Al Gore speak about uh, climate change. And uh, Eric Schmidt from X of Google was there as well, talking about uh, some stuff in the keynotes yesterday. Um, but on the weekend, I was at a hackathon, and um, TD Bank actually has created a... Uh, 
team over in, I think it's a mobile services area, has created an API that's publicly accessible to, it doesn't have real data in it, it has some, some fake banking data, but it gives you access to all the sort of features of, of banking, like, you know, transfers and bill payments and deposits and that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's publicly accessible uh, on, there's, I have to find a link for it. I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, it's called the DaVinci API, and, uh, yeah, if you want to play around with the idea, if you have an idea, they posted it up there because they want, if, if somebody comes up with an idea on um, some new application that, that could be used by the banks, they, you know, really like to hear about it. But it was, it was there were three tracks in the hackathon, and one of them was to use, was to do something with this, this TD API, DaVinci, they call it. Um, but that was kind of cool. So that's one of my uh, picks here. Um, another one is, uh, part of, part of the um, Elevate today, the, one of the tracks was on artificial intelligence or AI. Um, and so there were all these little uh, short talks, probably 10, 15 minute talks on what people are doing uh, in AI, in the AI space with tech and um, in, in healthcare in particular. We have a, a section of Toronto here. I'm not sure. It's called Mars, which is like, I don't forget what that stands for, but um, it's kind of an incubator space. It's a, you know, really big, you know, uh, old building and uh, it's all been dressed up nice and they have all these, you know, if you, if you have a startup idea or something like that, they'll, they'll give you space in the incubator to, to work on it. Um, but they're hosting the, the, uh, the, um, the actual talks. So a lot of the guys were there were, were people who are in, involved with Mars. But uh, what, what really caught my eye was the last presenter um, was visually impaired. In fact, he's completely blind. And uh, so he was doing a talk on the technologies that Microsoft is bringing to a, using AI to in, enhance uh, the challenges of, of visually impaired people. And so the, um, and I've got a link here to a, a video on YouTube from Microsoft's AI for accessibility section that uh, Microsoft has stood up. It, got, it talks about we've talked about Sense AI. I think is uh, is uh, their um, their um, iOS app that you can you can have it read text to you, um, or it can recognize uh, barcodes and things like that. Read you what the soup ingredients are on a, on a can of soup, if, for instance. But uh, and there are other other technologies they talk about in this video, like uh, a headset you can wear if you're if you're blind that um, will tell you as you're coming as you're coming up to impediments. You know, like you're approaching a staircase or approaching an, an exit door. This is a stoplight, so to give you an audio clue, or if you're hearing impaired and you can't hear the, the instructor, and then maybe they're not using sign language or whatever, uh, there's an app that will listen to what they're saying and translate what they're saying into speech, so you can actually read on your phone what this person in front of you is actually saying in real time. So this is all using AI technology. So there's a video here I posted. Um, it's produced very much in the similar style that we're used to seeing from the fruit company. Um, so it's uh, you know it's got that whole sort of emotional draw. Uh, kind of style to it so but it's really cool i think i think people should have a take a look at this uh, video on microsoft's uh, ai for accessibility they've got a whole site that they've set up for this but this is just sort of one their uh, their pitch video that i've got linked here that's cool um and my last pick is related to something that comes up here on the show quite a bit uh it's from the tedx uh, ted uh, the tedx talks or ted ed actually in this case here and um it's basically called um uh, why the metric system matters <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
<laughs> it talks about uh, the, I think they call it U- U.S., what do you call it, American Standard Units? I forget what they call it, but uh, in, in the video they talk about it. And and uh, they compare the, 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 the pitch at the beginning thing is, is how does the French Revolution uh, affect a satellite crashing on Mars? Um, and it talks about how, uh, you know, the uh, Americans tra- tra- um, uh, crashed the satellite in Mars because they they had a miscalculation in the conversion from metric to standard units at some point in the past there but the the french revolution was the was the the genesis of the metric system um i think it was one so the and it's funny because they're talking about how you know we, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago with greg where you know units of measurement were based on the human hand or you know the forearm or the length of your thumb or whatever um, and yet, you know, people aren't all the same size, right? So some, some, in some cultures, a hand may be smaller than another person in another culture altogether, right? And uh, so it's not really a very reliable way of measuring, especially when you're transferring from one, you know, place to another, maybe if you're doing trade or whatever. Or some 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 um, scales were originally based on the, the weight of a, of a seed, for instance, right? Um, and dep- again, it depends on the plant you're using as your scale or whatever. But uh, so the metric system was, and you were joking about, last week, Jaime, where you could say that the boiling point of water would, would be 100 degrees and the freezing point of water would be zero degrees, and then you would basically create your, your scale from there, which is, in fact, the Celsius um, scale. I believe the Kelvin scale too, right, Mark? Um, Kelvin has the same uh, separation between values as Celsius, right. but starts at absolute zero. So 237 uh, Kelvin is zero yeah. degrees Celsius. Right. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, but, 273. But uh, what, what I found, maybe you'll, you'll see what, where, where, my, where the, my, the head scratching is coming from for me. So a meter is actually the distance from the equator to the North Pole divided by 100 million, I believe. Um, that's how long a meter that's how they came out with the, the, the measurement for a meter which is great unless you're doing trade with somebody from mars right because their meter wouldn't be the same as our meter well that <laughs> it's a matter of definition who says their meter is is the based on the distance from their equator to their north pole right as opposed to you know in, on mars you certainly can define the meter as the distance from earth's north pole to equator divided by whatever but, but if you're like a martian like let's say or like yeah. or venusian right Right? You're not necessarily going to say, or Vulcan, you're not going to say, I'm, I'm accepting your scale. And never mind. You get the point. My point was about the size of the hands and the size of the, or the planets, right? They don't necessarily match up. I just find it ironic that the meter was actually based on something physical. <laughs> mind you, mind you, I shouldn't say that. I should say that because I should qu- qualify that because, as we just said, um, like the metric system is based on things that can actually be reproduced, right? Like, yeah. like you well, know, the- I believe, I believe, although that's where it came from, they've redefined it now based on wavelengths of light, multiples of wavelengths of light, right? Speed of light, yeah, exactly. Things, things that can be quantified, right? Or right. Reproduced. Yeah, not speed of light, but wavelength of light for distance, right. speed of light. You know, obviously, velocity. Uh, yeah, and time they base on uh, on resonant frequencies of things of, of atoms oscillating. Right, but I remember. I think I, I remember from physics. I don't know if it's still true or not. That a gram is basically a, a like a meter, a millimeter squared of water, something like that. Um, so like what using water as the as the sort of weight and volume metric scale. Anyway, yeah, it's the it's the well, it's a, so grams unit of mass, not a weight technically. Yeah. 
but the uh, weight of a of a like a milliliter of water kind of thing. Yeah, cubic centimeter, yeah. I think, which is a milliliter. Cubic centimeter, yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, yeah. yeah. Yes, right. I think so. that's correct. I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, something that can be reproduced at any any point in in the Earth, and mind you, just mass, because yeah, mass doesn't change based on altitude, right? Mass does not. That's right. Right. Yeah. So that's why they would use that as as the reproducible scale, as opposed to the length of Jaime's hand versus my hand, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just thought it was funny. By the way, I I was wrong. Uh, it isn't that oh, there's only one country in the world that hasn't embraced the metric system. There are actually three. So <laughs> you guys are, are they cool. also using imperial units, or do they have their ultimate? Well, they have, I think they units. have their own thing. Yeah, and it's funny, like, the, the point at the end of the movie is, the guy, and the, I think it's an American narrator, by the way, or an American writer, but he says that um, it's it's ironic that the, the Americans ha- held on to um, the imperial method when, in fact, it started out in a revolution in, in France, where the metric system came from. Because uh, what it, what actually happened was Britain adopted the, or accepted the, the use of, of metric measurements before, during the time when the 13 colonies were had just declared independence so they were not going to accept whatever british rule said right or something to that effect there was a lot of contrarianism around that time <laughs> to turn it into like another history <laughs> podcast but um there was even weird things like hey you know like like we we dropped the superfluous use in in words but we could have gone even further we could have said you know what there was a proposal of hey what if we simplified spelling of words to spell them sort of the way they sound instead of the arbitrary way they've been decided to be spelled Right, right, and and it ends up with all sorts of weird, like looks like a child scrawling on <laughs> their crayon, sort of spelling. But that yeah. was seriously proposed as sort of a like flipping the bird to the British Empire sort of thing. And so yeah, right. it kind of doesn't surprise me that we decided to keep the imperial units just because the British decided to change to something else. Right. There was also a little bit in that in that video about the Hindu Arabic um, alphabet and numbering replacing Roman numerals. Which, and by the way, just uh, just as a side note here on the pronunciation of the 10s phone um, on uh, on um, one of the Tonight Show things uh, with uh, Seth. What's his name? Seth Myers. What's that one show? That show called the Late Show. Late Late Show, I think. Yeah, with Seth Myers, he referred to it as the iPhone XS. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't have put those letters in there if you didn't want people to say that X. Well, exactly. Like it's just gonna it's just gonna confuse people. I think I think it's gonna at the end of the day, as much as we'd like to say tennis and use tennis balls in our emoji con uh, emoticons, I should say it's um, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. People are people are gonna see what they see what they say, right? The X phone. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. Hey, so honey, if people want to find you, where would they? Look, I'm on Twitter as at dev with the hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, send me an email at markrartsmapsoft.com. All righty. And as I say every week, my name is Timitra. My Twitter handle is T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, which is the spelling of my name. Woo. Uh, and that's the best way to get hold of me. And so until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. 
Thanks again for listening. They show the what used to be called the American Pavilion from Expo 67, which was a, a geodesic dome built by, designed by Buckminster Fuller. And the, the first year of um, Expo 67, they had a whole bunch of spacecraft um, floating, uh, hanging in it. So like it was like a Mercury capsule. I think the command module from um, it was 67. No, that wouldn't be right because they didn't land on the moon until 69, right? But they had like it had a command module there as well. And but but it burned down. I thought it would burn down because it was a fire at some point in in its history. But I just noticed on the map today that it's still there. So they must have reconstructed it. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> you have to throw a, sh- a link in the in the chat. Well, or it's the called the Montreal Biosphere now, right? If you Google if you Google Biosphere fire, you'll see pictures of it burning. But it was originally like every like you know Expo. Every every um, country has a pavilion at Expo or a man. It's called the. Uh, it was called the. What's called the uh, in New York? They have the World's Fair. I think they call it. Like the English name is World's Fair, but the the French or the international name is Expo. Anyway, um, yeah, this it was like this amazing you know constru- American feat of you know architectural prowess with this Buckminster, Buckminster Fuller. Um, geodesic dome right it says here in uh, just to follow along with what you're saying that yeah um after the fire the site remained closed until 1990 oh, okay and then environment canada purchased the site for 17.5 million dollars to turn it into an interactive museum right right it, that particular building or the whole of expo because it's Velodrome, unclear to me what they're saying the- it i believe it, this article on wikipedia is referring to the montreal biosphere so i don't really know uh, the um yeah the the grounds that you're talking about I'm pretty sure that, like, so the, so the, um, yeah, I'm looking at worldsfaircommunity.org. There's an article here. But the, because I have pictures of this. My dad, my dad, I found some slides of my, I have a slide scanner about at a, at a pawn shop a few years ago. And um, my dad took slides of, of Expo when we were there. And of course, he had some of the, the American Pavilion as well, right? But um, uh, one of the earliest pictures I have of me is from my Expo passport, which is really old. But anyway. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was cool, and, and I remember that the, they had a thing called the velodrome, which is where part of the Olympics they where they where they did the tra- the you know the indoor um, bike races. I thought they turned that into a biosphere too, like or, or some sort of nature museum or something like that, right? So, and actually the 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 area that if you I don't know if you ever look at a map of Montreal, the the island that they um, that the expo's on, it's in the middle of the Saint Lawrence River, but the island that it's on is actually man-made as well. So it was kind of like you know, they were, you know, flexing their uh, architectural muscles back then as well, right? That would be the island of Montreal, according to Google Maps? Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I may be wrong about it being man, um, man-made as well. I think we have an island here in Toronto that's pretty much made of garbage as well, literally. <laughs> garbage and garbage and soil. Yeah. Got to put it somewhere. Might as well put it in the river, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where did the Montreal Expos baseball team play? They used to. Well, you know, when I I saw them in their first season, I know you're being facetious, but I saw them play in their first season with Rusty Staub was the star uh, of the team. I think he just retired a couple years ago, or maybe passed away. I can't remember. Or he must you know he must have retired years ago. But I think yeah, he passed he retired away years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, that was '76, um, right? Their first year. '76? No, so. it was, would have been earlier than that because I was still in Montreal at the time. It would have been like the '70s. Oh, they came back. Oh, they, they, they went away. It was the Blue Jays that were '76. Yeah. Oh, was it? 
So the expos were earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, um, anyway, they used to play at a place called Jerry Park, which was just like a baseball diamond, right? Um, yeah. It would be fitting if they played on top of a pile of garbage, though. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were never very good. <laughs> now, now. Tisk tisk. Then we, uh, um, we, we brought them. We repatriated them to the U.S. of A. Right. and they put them in the most yeah, the USA Washington. of cities possible. If you go to the, if you go to the uh, the uh, Montreal Expos Wikipedia page, there's a picture of them at Jarry Park. Um, in 1969, yeah, 69. So yeah, I, w- I was still in Montreal then. So, uh, and I had the baseball hat that you see pictured here. It was it had an iron-on logo, which I thought was kind of cheap, and eventually fell off. Um, let's see, where did they play? I thought I could curse when they played at the Olympic, the Big O, the Olympic, sta- Olympic Stadium for a while. Yeah, that's what it's, yeah, it's saying like here. They yeah, because because they had to try and make them. And it was like a totally wrong place to like. You know, can you imagine? It'd be like, well, it's funny. Like when I go see the, I've seen the Raptors play twice at, at the ACC or which is now called Scotiabank Center, but I'm still going to call it ACC. Um, they uh, when they when they play the 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 the, the actual the, the I don't know what you call it what do you call it? the court right the court is like you know it's it's set up in the middle of the ice essentially like they cover the ice up and they, they put this court down but it's like it's like it, like well inside the, the it's way smaller than the size of a hockey arena right so you know because hockey arenas are, are 200 feet I think it's 200 feet from the center line to the to the, the end of the boards on both sides so it's like you know either 200 feet or I think it's 200 feet wide um, but of course, it's not measured in meters. We'll get to that later, but it's measured in feet. Um, and uh, yeah, so like when the have you guys ever seen a, a basketball game in a, in a in a hockey arena? You must have, right? In a hockey arena, no. I yeah, I'm not sure that I have. I've seen you know, like you know college basketball and the NBA um, for the Sonics when they were here at Key Arena, but that is currently not a um, not a hockey arena. Like, was it designed to be a basketball? Or, like, I mean, oh, I no, to you play, know, what? I, to... I, I take it back. I think the Seattle Thunderbirds used to play uh, minor league hockey. I don't know what the, the difference is, if any, in the Same the size ice. rank. Is it? it? Yeah. Okay, then I definitely have it may, seen... it may have less stands, like less less of a stands, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I, I guess I take it back. I have seen basketball played in a hockey arena. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't you find it kind of like where you were sitting up in the up in the stands, like away from the, the court? Like, you know, like courtside seats are really expensive ones, right? Yeah, Key Arena is small enough that uh, it felt like even the nosebleed seats were not so nosebleedy. It felt like you had pretty good sight lines and yeah. maybe that's probably the problem for the nba like it's not big enough it doesn't have enough uh you know high quality yeah. luxury boxes and stuff like that that bring in the buku bucks yeah well i can you imagine i don't know it's funny i it's it's funny how you, th- you when you look at tickets on online and you're trying to decide you don't want to sit in the very last row or whatever but sometimes i've been surprised at how well like i as I, I saw a concert at um at uh the acc which had just become the scotiabank i'm still resisting so I'm calling it scotiabank theater but because it also was a competitor bank, right? So I can't really, you know, buy into that yet. But um, I sat in the very last row of to watch, you know, an electric light orchestra, and and it was actually not that bad. I mean, like, you know, you're still as far away from the band as possible. But well, I'll tell you, yeah. I, I took a course when I was in college uh, with uh, Bose, the founder of Bose Stereo. He taught the course, and the one thing I remember from the course is him saying, "If you want to get the absolute best sound at a concert, you sit in the very last." 
last row. Yeah. And the reason yeah. the reason is that anywhere else in the in the uh, auditorium, uh, waves of some frequency are going to have a node there, so you don't and they can collide. Yeah, yeah. That frequency, yeah. but only in the back does every frequency, every wave have uh, is not a node. You know, so because it, because it has to reflect off the wall, so it can't be zero at that point. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I like literally went to see. Um, um, I'm thinking about the word use of the word literally, but I went to see Elson John last night at, at the ACC. I, bought, I waited, waited till the last minute and bought the cheapest ticket that was on you know StubHub that I could. It was like you know under hundred bucks or like sixty bucks US, right? And um, so, but I but I was sitting sort of behind the stage almost, like like I couldn't see the big you know extravaganza and whatever. There was a, there was a monitor there for us you know people in the cheap seats to watch the, the show, and and you know I, was, I couldn't see how I couldn't see like three quarters of the band. I could see I could see the guitarist and I could see Elton John, but um, the sound I noticed that like I recorded a few songs you know because I wanted to keep them, but uh, but I, I noticed that like when he was doing your song, which is the very last song he sang, which is just him and the piano right in this big giant echo chamber, it sounded off. To be honest with you, right? Um, and I remember seeing Ted Nugent a thousand years ago. I was sitting at like right at center at the center of the theater, up in the cheap seats, and he was so loud that it was just it was like a big giant blur of. of but mind you, that was back in the seventies when sound was crap, right? But um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, like like I could, I could totally see that now that you say that sitting up in the in the like I was in the last row. Like one guy went as I was walking up the stairs, the guy said, "Welcome to the wall," because you know, we were right up against the concrete wall. But yeah, it was it was uh, really you're right, really good sound from there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw you two at um, in uh, in BC Place in uh, Vancouver once, and and we were at the 50 yard line, Carol and I, and she just hated it because all we got was like it was like having two you twos because you know the the band would sing and then it would bounce off the back of the wall and come back to us and you would have like it was like you know it sounded like two people singing two bonos you know kind of thing right yeah that was awful sound but but yeah. then again you know and, and having played in in a band and you know you stand behind the monitors and stuff like that and you know you get a good sound you know it's not too loud for you really because you know you're, you have to survive the night uh, and play again tomorrow but um when i saw roger waters i was sitting at the side stage but i was sitting like in the 10th row so i was like practically on the stage or I was at the side of stage, and the sound was really good there because I just heard, I was just hearing what was the band was hearing, right? So, um, yeah, makes a difference yep. where you sit. For sure. So you met the guy from Bose, eh? Took a class from him, yeah. Wow. Yep. Was his name Bose? His last name was Bose. No way. This is yeah. at, uh, where was this at? At MIT. MIT, oh, of course. Yep, he <laughs> was he was like an adjunct professor or something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah that's neat. Neato. I got to see Al Gore yesterday up close and personal. Yeah? Yeah, because he was doing the keynote at, uh, where does have this Elevate um, uh, Tech Fest that we're doing right now in Toronto. So I, I saw Ken Dryden this, today as well speak. And but anyway, before um, Al Gore came out, Ed, um, Eric Schmidt was there from from Alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. The CEO. So he was talking to Amanda Lang, who's a Canadian television personality here. Not the CEO so, anymore. Yeah, I think he yeah sort of said former CEO or whatever. But yeah, yeah and yep. and he interviewed um, Al Gore after Al Gore did his his talk on climate change and stuff like that, right? So there was some funny. I posted some funny lines on the uh, the Slack. I don't know if you saw them, Mark. But. Why was everybody wearing those cloud socks? They were cloud socks. They were maple leafs. Oh, they're maple leafs. Okay, I couldn't tell from the photo. I see. Well, if you see the hashtag on Twitter, it says maple leaf socks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't see that, but apparently I can check that out. <laughs> yeah, on my tweet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're... Uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, I had to get a... I, I was sitting close and I was like in the second row. Like what happened was, you know, it's, a, it's in a big it's in a big concert theater, right? And uh, I went in during a break. Everybody had gotten up out of their seats to go and, you know, do... You know, get a drink or whatever and take care 
business. And I just walked in and I kept walking. I kept seeing empty spots. So I kept walking all the way down to the, the very front bunch of rows. And I just grabbed a seat in the second row and walked, waited for Al Gore to come out and, you know, had to sit through a couple of things. But yeah, one, one of the things I had to sit through was, was Eric Schmidt being talked, being interviewed as well. Right. So, and he's, it was pretty good. It was a good, good, uh, good couple of guys to see speak. Very exciting. And I can see why, you know, it's funny. Al Gore had, he's got that sort of politician delivery, you know, like you, you want to get out there and vote after you're done, after he's done talking, you know, or you want to go pitch in and <laughs> like kind of stuff, you know, he's the dude after all, right? Yeah. He, he was elected president. <laughs> he was elected president. That's true. That's true. He did. He did sort of have some crocodile tears over that at one point and somebody yeah. mentioned it. <laughs> Oh, because of FinFET technology. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Which? FinFET. Oh, FinFET. Oh, okay, right. I don't know. I hear FinTech when people say start saying Yeah, I, I hear the same yeah. thing. I know I know what you mean. <laughs> start auto-completing it in what? your head. FinTech? What? Yeah. So, so, Hami, by the way, uh, was Simple's thing yesterday a uh, an attempt to get people to join before the Fed raised the interest rates today? That was actually was pretty coincidental. Um, okay. Because okay. otherwise we would have launched it like well ahead of time to not have competitors you know even with their delayed responses they'll almost certainly raise rates as well because that's kind of what the fed wants right Um, but just like buying gasoline when the price of oil goes up gasoline goes up immediately so the equivalent here is your loans and your mortgages and that sort of thing will go up like immediately like today before the ink was even dry they were already updating it but your uh, your savings stuff will not go up quite as quickly because that's not the big money maker for them. So uh, it will be interesting. We're certainly not going to be alone in that respect, but um, mm-hmm. it is kind of nicely timed in some respects in that we get a little bit of boost of attention from folks. So I actually signed up for an account, but I haven't I haven't funded it yet. And uh, maybe you can tell me: uh, is there a minimum time length that you have to put it in the account to get the rate? Uh, it's uh, don't quote me this because I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'd say read all the disclosures, but um, off the top of my head, it is done on your average, your uh, daily balance, your average daily balance. And so if you had, uh, what's the minimum? It's like $2,000, I think, in there for like a day, you would get whatever the fractional portion of 2.02% APY is for that day. Right. And if you dipped down below that tomorrow, well, you wouldn't get that rate anymore tomorrow. And then if the next but day I, you went back up, you would get it for that day. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's not like you have to keep it in for a year to lock in that rate or... Or, or you get a, pen, a penalty or something like that. No, no, it's it's uh, like an exciting new product here for having the uh, a rate you know very similar to a CD, a certificate of deposit, but with the mm-hmm. flexibility of a checking account where yep. you're not going to get penalized for oh no, like I had to go pay a bill for something. And do you expect that it will stay at that rate for a while? I mean, I suppose it could if interest rates go up, anything can can change. But I'm just wondering if is it just kind of a teaser rate, and after two months it's going to go down or something like. That. Yeah, I don't really have any insight to that because that's on the business side of what they want to do and, and how things are going. But um, yeah. it is a limited time to to join or right. to, to create the account and get the special rate. So yep. uh, my understanding is you don't even have to fund that on day one if you didn't want to, since your account would have been created during the special promotional period. Um, so what's what's the rate about, Hami? The rate is so if you create a uh, protected goals account for uh, your savings goals sort of reasons, and if you fund it up to or, or at minimum. $2,000, then you will have uh, 2.02% APY. 
So what's a protected rate? Like we have a thing called TFSA, which is like a not a tax protected um, account. Is that the same thing? Or so for us, we the protected goals account is is interesting because normally when you um, when you spend with your your simple account, your debit card, right, it, you could have goals that say, all right, well, I think this amount of money is for rent, and this amount of money is for Netflix, and this amount is for you know dog related stuff. But when you go and swipe your card, the card's going to take from your available balance, and it will remove money or funds from your goals to accommodate for that. Right. Um, right. but there are definitely cases where people are like, Oh no, I absolutely don't want that to happen. Like I want this money to be completely separate money. And I want this to be like, I want that card to decline if I don't have sufficient funds sort of thing. So it's like a nice little way to squirrel away that money for savings for things like, uh, you know, college tuition trip to Hawaii, you know, buy a car, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So you're saying protected kind of like goals, a linked goal. checking and savings account, right? Where your checking account is the one pre- previous one that you were talking about that you swipe your card and it just takes it out of, but the savings account, although it's linked, uh, never gets touched unless you tell it to touch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Much like the, the Kevin Hart comedy, you know, comedy bit where he's like the money's in my, in my checking account. Most of it is in savings, savings, you know, move it in my checking, that sort of thing. Uh, but it works very similar to, to that. Yeah. Yeah. So is it cheaper yeah. than having two separate accounts? Like, is that the idea or? Because like, you get for, charged for, you, for every account you have, or? or what do you mean cheaper? Well, um, like in in some of our banks here in, in Canada, you you, tr- you you're charged an admin fee for having an account, right? Like a minimum oh. of five dollars or whatever. Yeah, right? we don't, we don't have that, so it's no? uh, it's fee free with no no minimum balance. And you are there like charges for the number of checks you write or number of transactions you make, things you spend? We don't have. Um, fees for those things that you just described. Really? Yeah. I'm not talking about simple. I'm talking about in general. Oh, yeah. In general, banks charge for, for those sorts of uh, things. Yeah. One of the advantages of going to simple, we have a bank a bank like, well, you probably heard of Tangerine or Ryan G Direct. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have a similar thing where they don't have branches, but you, so you pay less. You don't really pay for transaction and they offer higher interest than, than most of the major banks, right? Because they don't have all this extra overhead, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a hypothesis like for like, I'm thinking about challenger banks out in uh, the UK, like Monzo and N26 Revolut. Right. That's sort of like their thing. Uh, it's sort of a different environment because the UK government has mandated uh, a lot of nice things for them in terms of right. you know, open API access so you can, as a consumer, move your money around, which means the banks can make money moving a little bit easier. And the UK, for my understanding, has made it like, ridiculously easy to set up a new bank, which is quite the opposite of what happened here in the United States post the um, you know the mortgage crisis, where it's like, you want to start a bank? No. <laughs> Sort of what the Fed has been doing for a long time, right? Right. Yeah, but what interested right. me in it, uh, none of that stuff. It's it's just the rate. You know, the rate is well, as of yesterday, before the Fed raised rates, uh, yesterday's rate or the rate two point oh two is actually pretty good. If you have some cash just sitting around because you want to keep it liquid for whatever reason, uh, other banks, you know, they're still like point one percent. I mean, it's ridiculously low interest mm-hmm. rate. So getting two percent on that money is is actually pretty good. Now, as I said, since the since the rate went up quarter point, you know that could all get adjusted over the next few weeks, but still still a pretty good rate right now, just for a savings account at least. Yeah, it's, only. <laughs> it's sort of the the, uh, the maple syrup to draw people in, be yeah. like, look, yeah. like, come try out our products. Um, it's going to make financial sense for you to do it just to get the 2.02%. Um, yeah, well, and that's what I, that's the one thing I worry about, uh, though, is that, you know, they're, they're doing this as, a, as an incentive to get people to open accounts and fund the accounts, put a lot of money in, and then a month after you open the account, it's like, oh, sorry, you know, the trial period is over. Now it's down to 0.1%. And now your money's sitting there. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess you can always take it out, but it's, you know, it's a pain. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely noticed, um, competitors, like I want to say KeyBank has been p- pumping out a ton of advertising on, uh, for what I can tell, like millennial targeted forums. So I don't see this on normal television. I'll see it like as a YouTube ad or as a, um, an ad on something like, uh, streaming media, like Crunchyroll. So in between watching episodes of anime or something, be like, Oh, um, uh, do you want, what is it like $300? dollars uh just because uh open up a key bank account and link your direct deposit and then after some amount of time they'll give you that three hundred dollars it's like three months or something like that mm-hmm. so they're definitely trying to get you to um open an account and since direct deposit is one of the hardest things for you to change yeah like you got to go ask your employer to like hey use this other bank account instead they know just like if they can get that it's um it's that friction effect of like uh, yeah i really don't want to change it to this other bank because because this is where I get my money. I'll just link my account and move stuff over if I need to. Yeah, especially if the rate's not any worse than the other bank. You're not going to, you have no incentive to switch it back when you're done. Right, right. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, let's put on the show. I do want to ask, though, really quickly, though, what does it mean that the um, the Fed has raised rates? What is that? How does that affect it, Mark? So there's the there's something called the Federal Reserve Bank, yeah. which is not actually part of the U.S. government, uh, contrary to popular belief. It is a separate mm. organization, but it's it's sort of you know officially sponsored, sort of by the government, and it's uh, you know it's it's like the main central bank of the United States. They have a certain rate that they set, which is the rate that banks can use to borrow money from other banks if they need to. Uh, and, right. and they, they adjust that, that rate periodically to either speed up or slow down the economy. If they want to loosen up the money supply, they'll lower the rate. If they want to tighten up the money supply because the economy's heating up, they'll raise, they'll raise the rates to slow things down. Uh, and so in the, in the, uh, financial crisis of, you know, it's been almost 10 years now, more than 10 years now, uh, they, they dropped it really, really low to, to try to get the economy going and down to basically zero. So it's been at basically zero for 10 years. Uh, so money's been really cheap, which is why the economy has been booming for so long. Uh, but but having it that low means they don't have any room to to wiggle if if something else goes wrong. You know, they, they can't lower it any lower than zero. So they're kind of stuck. So they do want to raise it up a little bit at a time to just kind of bring it back up to a more manageable point and hopefully not, you know, slow down the economy too much as as they do it. So, so they have, you know, they have a meeting, I think once a quarter, and they decide what the what the rate is going to be. So right now the the rate is it, it was just raised yesterday to, to two and a quarter percent. So that's the, that's the nominal rate that banks lend to each other, lend and borrow from each other. So mm-hmm. because that's the that's the cost of money for a bank that they pass that on to consumers as well. So so it's you know it's bad if you want to take out a loan, but good if you are saving money in an in an account somewhere. Yeah. So we, uh, we, Mr. Ford had some interesting things. So we're going to have, um, I think pot's going to be legalized in Canada in next week, middle of next, I'm sorry, next month, mm. October 17th or something like that. And, uh, in Ontario, they had sort of decided that you would only be able to smoke pot like you do lick, drink liquor only in the privacy of your own home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Mr. Ford has decided, no, that's fine. We'll have, we'll have designated smoking areas. You'll be able to wander around the streets and smoke, uh, pot wherever you like. <laughs> 
are you able to have or will you be able to have cannabis in like restaurants or bars that sort of thing like i'm unclear on the liquor thing in the um in well your, we don't let privacy people smoke home. we don't let people smoke in restaurants anymore so i can't I can't see them allowing cannabis or vaping or whatever because you can't really vape in restaurants either right um, so then like uh, special clubs i guess like i'm thinking like hookah lounges or um like cigar yeah, clubs sort of equivalent. i wouldn't be surprised yeah i, I think there's there's still there's still some cultures that some people in the culture that are that are you know anti pot smoking right it's not like a everybody's chomping at the bit to get this stuff right so and so and the, and the the smell just triggers them right so yeah that that we need to like use gmo techniques to to change that like it should smell pleasant or at least <laughs> not bad well i mean that's where the whole idea of vaping and and uh, ingestibles and stuff come into play right sure you're not sure you're not uh, and I, I, I don't know like i say this as an outsider but i think it is bananas that canada isn't just jumping at the opportunity to corner the north american market and just beat out the americans to having a premier national brand that can then import or i guess export <laughs> to the united states when we get our stuff together like we're really close right yeah. like really super close it it feels like another 10 to 15 years and it'll be legalized at the federal level but you kind of want to be like marlboro or budweiser equivalent well there are there are a few um medical places um i've invested in some of them just to, to watch the stock rise but um there's a few uh, around, like they closed a Hershey plant here in um, Smith Falls, and um, somebody in the town decided, you know, well, I'll just use this as a as a as a medical grow up place, right? And so they they basically, when Hershey's pulled out of Smith Falls, they basically threw everybody out of work, pretty much, right? It was just about everybody worked in that plant, and so now they're all working growing pot, you know, for this legit company, right? So and uh, so when they when they went public, you know, they they came out like three bucks or whatever per share and uh it's now like 190 dollars or something like that um just based on the whole idea of of pop becoming legalized up here so there's a number i think i think it, there is going to be something like that. i heard too that coca-cola had just um allied with uh one of the new pot pot stocks so pot pot companies cannabis yeah i saw that i don't i don't hmm? cannabis cannabis people yeah i don't remember the name of the company but i did see that yeah at the at this elevate uh, hackathon thing there was a whole cannabis track too right it, it <laughs> yeah. makes sense i mean like it's gonna be something people want there's gonna be again there's there, there's gonna be a handful of branded companies that will dominate the markets mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right i mean there's a million chocolatiers but everybody knows hershey's everybody knows Kirdelli and, and others um it just seems like uh i'm a little unclear as to why did you say toronto or ontario i didn't get which one was like only in the privacy of your own home versus being like hey do whatever you want ontario yeah I'm i, a little think, I surprised. think every, every promise in every province and every municipality has been given the right to do to sort of regulate whether they like because some some cities have decided they don't want to have pot dispensaries in their within their their city streets or whatever right so but at the end of the day they're they're doing this to try and mitigate crime right the black market because mm -hmm. that's you know where where, where do you get your pot now <laughs> you know out at the corner store not yet this won't be very Canada friendly, but tomorrow Amazon is going to make uh, NFL history because they're now doing um, the streaming like they did last year for Thursday Night Football. But they're going to make history specifically because they're going to have two women announcers. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't even remember what tomorrow's game is. Let me see. That is interesting, though. Let's see. Who is it? Vikings Minnesota Vikings. Ah, oh, that'll be an interesting game. That'll be an interesting game. Yeah. Hmm? I didn't catch who the announcers are. Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer. 
Hey, do you guys watch American Horror Story? Uh, I don't, but I've seen it. I watched the first season. Yeah. How about you? I had never watched it until I was on vacation, and then <laughs> uh, the new season started, and everybody wanted to watch it. So I watched the first episode, and it was actually pretty good. Yeah. So I've been watching the new season. Then I went back and watched season one, mm-hmm. a little bit of season two. It's actually pretty good. I I had never even thought of watching it before, but but I'm liking it. Yeah, I think I, think I watched the first bunch of seasons for season one, then I just, I just fell off the wagon for a bit. I've seen it occasionally, but I'm just haven't gone back to it right mm-hmm. so. but it's an anthology series right so it shouldn't matter too much you just pick right. it up whenever you want yeah and every season is independent except there's it's kind of interesting there's the stories are all independent but but there's crossover in that they use the same actors in oh, really? completely different yeah. roles from season to season which is oh, kind, yeah? of, kind of interesting yeah it's like, it's like that Fargo show have you, ever, have you watched the new Fargo show no, no I haven't either. They, they've done three seasons now and um, you would think that um, each season is kind of like has it's Stands on its own as, as a, again, like an anthology. And yet, um, there are characters in the story that are, like, in one case, it's a, um, a cop, a, a lady cop who whose father, you know, owns a pie shop, right? And then the season, the next season, the guy who owns the pie shop is, was, he was an ex-cop, right? He, so in the next season, he's the cop that's in, you know, played by a different actor. But, um, so there's, there's always sort of a tie between the characters in, because I guess it's like small town, you know, different generations have these weird sort of things that happen to them, right? That's kind of cool. So I finished watching The Good the good Place. Jonathan got me hooked on that last year. Have you seen that one? Yeah, Kristen Bell. Yeah, yeah Kristen Bell. Are you familiar with the plot? or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah the, I started watching because I was going to watch something else. It's probably America's Got Talent or something somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And I had the TV on and there was a few episodes. I think they started to play a lot of the episodes because it seemed like it was like a full night of uh, The Good Place. Oh, like a weekend so, sort of marathon kind of thing or, or, or something of the sort because i i watched in the background at least like three or four episodes so it wasn't mm-hmm. just a singular one and uh spoilers for people who haven't was it the seen first that season, you think or no i think it was like the second season i'm not even clear where in the second season um but i'm like oh this has like a bigger plot twist than lost <laughs> It's like a lost level plot twist to uh, to the show that I didn't really expect. I expected, oh, you know, it's got a pretty basic premise. It's network television. She's yeah, and then it was going to set girl. to a basic, you know, sitcom, standard sitcom kind of plot, right? That's what I assumed. Yeah, I thought mm. it was like, oh, it's going to be like like bosom buddies. You know, Tom Hanks is like they don't want him to find out that like he's not actually a woman. All right, you know, they don't. She doesn't want people to find out that she doesn't belong in heaven. All right, I get that. And then I was like, mm-hmm. wait, mm-hmm. what? Like this show was way deeper than I thought it was. Oh, it gets. It's quite different after a while. Yeah, it's a completely different show than what I than what I thought. So now I'm like, yeah. oh, maybe I should see if it's on Netflix or Amazon or something. Go go watch the the first parts. Hmm. I give it like the sort of a Fight Club level of you know because I had never read the novel. I was like, whatever, it's this stupid movie about guys beating each other up, and I got convinced to go. And then you watch the movie, like, holy smokes, this movie is completely different than I thought it was. Yeah, why did why did they market it this way? <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, well, it's funny back in the back around that one time when that came out, I used to go see movies with a friend of mine every week and we would just like look in the paper or whatever and we would just decide like on as we're driving down to the theater which one we're going to go see and you know yeah totally like fight club didn't seem like the kind of movie i would enjoy either but you know the whole twist in the plot you know kind of was exactly what i was looking for right i remember when the matrix came out too we were kind of like looking at the matrix going i don't know kind of sci-fi whatever whatever and then when we went and saw it we were like blown away right you know 
That's the first and then, Matrix. And then the second and third movies came out, and you were you were less than blown away. Yeah, well, it's kind <laughs> of like it's kind of like to me the the second and third movie of the Matrix are like the first sequels of Star Wars. Like you kind of wish they weren't invented, you know. Although you would have been chomping at the bit for a sequel anyway, right? Wait, you're saying you didn't like Empire Strikes Back? No, I'm talking about um, I'm talking about uh, the sequels, the the the, one, the prequels, the prequels, episode one and two. Yeah, one, two, and three. Which I mean, you know, I enjoy them, but yeah, you know, yeah, like th- the third, the third one was for me the least exciting, least least uh, interesting of the three, right? So, whereas other people don't like the first one, what do I know? Right? But speaking of shows, Jaime, um, I was just talking to Jonathan about um, doing uh, spot cast episodes around the the new shorts, right? That are coming out. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I, I was kind of wondering if I was going to have to bust out my pennies. Or... <laughs> oh, did you cancel your account? Yeah, like like every rational human being did. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> they canceled their CBS All Access account. Discovery oh, it's now, right? Or something like it's, that? Or it's on Netflix or whatever? Not in the United States. Or you can stream it. I think it's, in Netflix, it's on Netflix in other countries, right? Not Every country but the United States. Right. So for you guys, you just turn on your, your free Netflix. Um, yeah, we don't have it. It's not on a Canadian one. It's on it's on our, it's still on our um, uh, space channel. In fact, um, yeah, I don't know. I was watching. Yeah, so was Mark, a- I don't know if you saw that they're going to do these like 15, 20 minute shorts, four episodes related to the Star Trek Discovery um, ah, teasers world leading up into season two coming out when? Like in January? February? January, I think. January, February, yeah. yeah somewhere in there. So, but, so they're doing October, November, December. There's four of them. So it must be one in January too then, right? Yeah. And, and they're doing it very wisely. So rather than, you know, releasing them all the same month, you know, mm-hmm. one after the other, yeah. they're like, hmm, what if we release one every month so that people will have to give us four months worth of CBS All Access money in the United yeah. States. We don't have uh, we don't have Universal Netflix like they do in Canada. We don't have Universal as well because um, Tammy always tells me about stuff on Netflix and I go look for it and it's not here. So and vice versa. Yeah, so Tim, let let us know if you end up getting the uh, the inside scoop on NS North. Yeah, well, I was chatting maybe with um, with to um, Dan to today. Hmm? Maybe I'll try to come this year. It'd be kind of fun. All right. Well, it'd be nice to um, to uh, give a talk, or maybe they'll let us do a live podcast or whatever from there. Hmm. Who knows? Yeah, let me. Have you seen the um, NS Spain videos? No. Why? So um, there's some good, some good videos. I've watched a couple so far. Yeah. But the one I was extraordinarily jealous of was. Um, I can't remember the name of their podcast, but it's uh, John Sundell and uh, Guillaume Rambo. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of their podcast. It's like Shared something or other. Yeah. Shared Instance? Uh, I guess it's not Shared Instance because those guys are... Stack Trace. I knew it was something with an S. Right. They did a, a live episode of Stack Trace right there up on the stage. Yeah. With the you know perfect audio and everything. It's like, oh, that's so great. I want to do that someday. Yeah. Someday we'll be up there. Yeah. Collect the whole crew. It, it, Montreal's drivable for Tammy. You don't have to get on an airplane for that. True. True. Well, we... We did uh, we did um, roundabout live at uh, R360, and I I did the audio, so I, I hooked uh, my Mac up to the um, to the PA to the the board, mm-hmm. you know. So we got clean, relatively clean audio from there. So hopefully it'll come out good. We didn't video it though, but and of course we'll have to wait for Tammy and her uh, glacial editing practice, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> like today, the, the guy who, Alan, what's his name? Um, what came out today from her? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did yeah. see the new episode come out. Was it like from, from like May or June, probably? Yeah, I want to say the guy who did uh, the practical programmer guy, pragmatic programmer. Where's my, what's it called? Oh, Adamson? Where's Adamson? Is that the one? No, different dude. No, Andy he was, Hunt. Huh? Andy Hunt, yeah. yeah Recorded on July 11th, yeah. so it's like a two-month cycle, which which sort of makes sense because Tammy's been doing like a ton of editing work mm-hmm. from what I've book. seen. Like Another she, new book come out recently. Yeah, too. the chatbots thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> we do need to start throwing in the the clickbaity like titles and descriptions yeah. we can have. Yeah, like wow, so many hashtag hackers here. <laughs> it's practically like hashtag Mister Robot. Yeah, well, we're talking about the hack. <laughs> we talk about the hack hackathon at, at uh, Elevate Tech Fest, right? So yeah, this iPhone 10s Max is so heavy. Is it made out of hashtag Valerian Steel? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does it come in Valer- does it come in uh, yeah Valerian steel and dragon does it have dragon glass on the on the back right <laughs> just find whatever the new, hot new thing I don't know if you saw the the tweet from Sweetie McSwift Face. He was talking about all his stack views that he's got in his app, and he he, do, he put a graphic of them, and it looked like a pyramid of doom of stack views, mm-hmm. right? So I said you need to use a guard view, and I got a few got a little bit of love on that one. <laughs> yeah, people were giving him a hassle about it, but I'm like, that's pretty much what Apple wants you to do now. Yeah, it it does seem sort of like um, table driven uh, development, like from web, which is, I guess like a big no no, but it, auto layout doesn't really work the same way that that did yeah yeah um, yeah i mean it, it, it was just weird to me that people were like oh my god it's so crazy i'm like well if you really went whole hog with it you you could do it that way and it's right shouldn't be any sort of performance issue i would guess compared to raw auto layout since they can they can cheat mm. and say oh we've recognized that you know these are the rules that need to play here so they can um do some work under the covers to maximize that yeah. and, and i think they covered up but not covered up i think they covered something like that in one of their myths of auto layout something or other advanced myths or something session in WWDC this year. What's this? The myths of... I think they covered in... If it wasn't this year, it was last year, like um, auto layout myths or something, uh-huh. or uh-huh. myths of auto layout. And All I right. think this is one of the myths they covered. They're like, oh, like the more stack views you use, the worse your performance gets. And they're like, no, 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 it's actually a whole lot better if you use it because it's easier for us to tell what's happening to your layout and we can uh, remove a lot of extra calculation by knowing what the state is. Oh, really? Yeah. And, then, and also the... Um, the use of, um, I forget what auto layout calls them, but they're like alignment rectangles instead of shoving in actual spacer views, even mm-hmm. with stack views. Mm-hmm. And say, look, there, there should be an alignment here to make sure that there's like representation that something is there. But if you use those, you can shortcut a whole bunch of calculation because they're not going to try to hydrate a view. They're going to say, oh, okay, in the math of equations that figures out what this layout should be, we'll accommodate this thing here. Right. Mm. But yeah, it, it certainly looks bananas in Interface Builder the way he, he showed it. But that's because you're just seeing like a tiny little sliver without seeing the actual UI. It doesn't make as much sense. Right. Right. Just looking through my old tweets. I think it was um, Brian Henderson that gave me the tweet about that um, uh, link from Apple where they would uh, private message you about the phones and the watches and the announcement. Do you remember that? We were talking about that two weeks ago. Yeah. That if you liked a tweet or something, it would yeah. send you a direct message. Yeah. Just scrolling. When was that we bought those phones? Probably the 14th. They would have been delivered the 21st, I think. Just scrolling back in time here. You know, like I said, to uh, Greg, you never go back. No regrets. Always looking forward. <laughs> uh huh. All right. Well, I think we should call it a day. Mark's probably passed out already. Not yet, but I'm getting there. 
All right. Yeah, here it is. Uh, yeah, from September 10th, the Apple News Invisible Twitter, not Twitter, whatever, fake tweets. Join us on September 12th at 10 a.m. P- PD. Watch Apple. No, it's a different one. Hmm. All right. Anyway, yeah, let's call it. All, All right. right. Talk to you Talk later. Talk to you next time. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye. Bye.